And it turns out that like corporate communications is an extremely like leveraged tool to change the course of the company, influence how the company behaves and to drive change throughout the company. So like, it, you know, it stands to reason if you want to change anything about how the company runs, it's like at least 80% a communications challenge. Hey everyone, today on Scaling Tech, I'm talking with Nick Rockwell. Hey Nick, how you doing? Good, how are you, Debbie? Good to see you. You too. We're talking with Nick about a really cool topic, going from being a CTO to business operations. I'm going to talk about what that means, but first a little bit uh, about Nick. Uh, so Nick is currently the EVP of strategy and operations for Fastly, an edge cloud company, and Nick joined Fastly about three years ago to run the engineering team. And prior to that was a CTO at the New York Times. And prior to that, um, Nick has actually been a, a CTO for 22-ish plus years, um, similar roles in other media companies, including Condé Nast and Viacom. And so that that is that is very relevant to this conversation because you have been a CTO for uh, decades uh, 22, 23-ish years, and, and you've only recently, uh, the past, you know, several months made the, the, um, change to the role of EVP of strategy and ops. And so being that you're relatively just starting on this journey, um, I really want to start with like, what have you learned so far? And then we'll dive in from there. Um, that sounds good. And it's, just to be frank, it's disturbing to reflect on that fact that I've just been here for 20 right. years. No, it's okay. It's, I mean, it's also kind of great, but I like, wow, okay, a long time, um, which is actually part of what my motivation was, honestly. It's, I, you know, I felt um, that parts of my career were starting to repeat themselves. And, and that actually was one of the reasons that I made another transition recently, which was from the media world like straight into the high tech world at Fastly, which is an infrastructure company, a very technical company. And so, Let me um, but, uh, but regarding the transition to the operations role, I guess I expected it to be a big change and I was looking for a big change. And I've nonetheless been surprised by how big a change it's actually been. <laughs> and like, yeah. And in some ways it, it, it's almost like a change in identity. Like I, I, myself spent so long in engineering organizations um it really becomes pretty deeply ingrained in how you think and like thinking from that position in the company um and spending as we all do so much time on like shaping the engineering culture and thinking about the mm -hmm. engineering identity in in you know in, in the context of a given company it's been a bigger shift for me to be like wait i can't think that way anymore like i have to totally reorient myself um, and think about sort of the whole company or, or, or at least, you know, all the important parts for me, obviously that's been learning a lot about the go to market side of the company. Right. Um, and particularly in a, in a B2B company, um, very different from the more consumer oriented world that I spent much of my career in, uh, right. that's just been like straight up learning. Like, how does this actually work? What is everybody talking about? What do these words mean? And so on. Um, but it's also been just that reorientation of like, stepping out of what in retrospect I more and more think of as like a silo that I was in and didn't even really see as much um into like a very different perspective so that's been the number one thing I would say 
it's as you're saying that it's really resonating for me personally because you made this shift inside fastly which i think that's to me a very fascinating reflection that you're making it's not that you also changed teams i mean right like you you are working with different folks in a different way now but you did it with inside the organization and i in my career you know i have i have had many different roles inside the same company and it it, it is sometimes shocking um how the the lens the the the, yeah. the job uh, changes what you see what do you need right. to know how you same company same, same people company. same situation and suddenly it looks really different <laughs> yeah so that's yeah and so that's um that's really interesting that you started with that because i've i i almost like had a, like a little chest tightening because i've i've been <laughs> oh, no. uh and so i don't want to stress you out <laughs> yeah no it's 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 good no it's and then on the other side of that is this i think this really rich perspective that you wouldn't have had otherwise right and so um, one of the things that you mentioned to me that I want to dive into is, you know, you think of companies are kind of like distributed systems. So tell me a little bit more about that. Well, maybe this whole line of thinking is some is a story I'm telling myself to make myself feel more confident. I'm like, maybe I do have a chance of doing this well, like, and I know what I'm doing. But that is one of the the thoughts that I've had is like, you know, what, what are the, and really it's like, what are the skills that I've developed as an engineering leader that I can apply to this different, you know, set of problems in different situation. And I guess I found it reassuring to think of the company as a distributed system, but the parallels are pretty clear. Like there's, there's a lot of complexity. There's the company's work like software does, which is you try to encapsulate things like processes or like responsibilities into manageable pieces that someone is, is responsible for. And then the complexity spills out in the relationships and dependencies between all of these components. So um, I particularly have, have thought about the problem solving that I've been called upon to, which is a big part of the role. Like these sort of COO-like roles often are pretty undefined and it tends to be like, where's the problem? Like, go, like right. this is a problem. We're not sure who doesn't really fall into anyone's domain. So like, try to figure this out. I thought about that kind of problem solving as a de as debugging, as you know, try like start with like what's happening here and like what where how is the information flowing and what's happening to it along the way and like what's going wrong. So in that in, in, and that's I feel like debugging skills I developed over the years, particularly working with distributed systems, have literally been pretty applicable and helpful. So, but that it's really um, it's really like the ability to think about the dependencies, to think about you know how like the company is like a data processing machine and like how what's happening along the way, what's changing, what's getting lost, what's getting stuck. Um, that's been very helpful to me. And it's fun right. to think about. To yeah. And then like, and, and actually um, there is also a lot of tech that actually supports and drives the operation side um, probably for most businesses these days, but certainly um, for Fastly. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. So I think if if um, the way I reassure myself is to th say like, oh, it's just another distributed system. I think the way my boss, the CEO, reassures himself that he's made a good decision is to think like it's all tech anyway. Might as well have someone who knows tech looking after it. So, but it's very true. I mean, these days it's sort of obvious, but it's sort of surprising how a lot of companies don't recognize more how much every process is like it's like 
manifested in a system or a set of systems. And it's really difficult to separate the way a company runs from the systems that it, you know, that are that are actually implementing all of that process. And I guess a company like Fastly stands out a little bit in that. Um, that's true of every company when you think about like the internal systems, like the HR systems and whatever like uh, you know uh, ERP system you use in the finance systems. Like that's true across the board. A company like Fastly, it's also very true of the core business and how we grow and how we, we go to market because such an operationally intense business, so much of the value we create is, you know, is out of the, the network and the nuances of how the network is behaving under different conditions. And the, the data that we're, that's like being emitted off the network, is like almost synonymous with our core operational business data. So it's especially true of us, but I think it is true at, at really any modern company. Right, right. Now, how how about the 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 human side of things like communications and team cadence? Um, like, what is your what is, what is your what is your job to be done with these parts of the business now? And how do you make sure that those things are tended to? Yeah, that I, that that's been a I guess um, I guess a surprise for me too. You know, and and these roles tend again to be like underdetermined and underdefined. Um, so I have spent more of the the four or five months that I've been doing this working on the mechanics really of how the senior team runs and also how we how that then through like the communication channels that we have influences what the rest of the company does. I spent more time on that than I expected to. But I, uh, as I've thought about it and I've gotten into it, it it makes a ton of sense and it's 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 not surprising as I, as I learn and understand a little bit more about how the company really works. Um, and it turns out that like corporate communications is an extremely like leveraged tool to change the course of the company, to influence how the company behaves and to drive change throughout the company. So like, it, you know, it's just a reason if you want to change anything about how the company runs, it's like at least 80% a communications challenge. Um, so that's been, been, uh, definitely a learning and definitely interesting. Um, related, I would I would even say it's been surprising to me in this role to to learn how much of success in general depends on actually doing seemingly simple things well. <laughs> like like when the senior team gets together, like do we have do we know what we're doing? Like, do we have an agenda? Do we know what problems we're trying to solve? Have we prioritized effectively amongst the like fifty billion things we could spend our time on? Like, how much value do we get out of that very precious and very expensive time? It comes down to just like basic planning, like basic prioritization, but writ large, this very leveraged context. So, um, it's it's interesting, and it's interesting to sit on the outside and, and easy to complain about, right? Like, oh my god, it's like more meetings meetings are terrible so now it's like let's make the meetings good like it's really important really has an impact on the company but it's like it's actually really hard to do you know so so but a lot of it turns out to be like this simple work that has to be done exceptionally well to have the impact that it ought to have yeah 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 and it's and it's it's interesting i've i've been working in tech 20 plus years as well and i've had 
weekly or monthly meetings with leadership teams that entire time. And and yet and still, two decades in, I'm still looking for ways to improve those meetings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and it like, hurts. It like physically hurts yeah. now. Like when you have one and you're like, that was late. Like we just spent the last hour and a half and like didn't really accomplish anything. Now I'm like, ow. <laughs> like that sucks. Right. I hate it. <laughs> Right, right, and then and then then capturing when they do go well. What? Why was it? Why? Was it luck? Yeah, was it work. new tool? Was it the people in the room? Yeah. Was it the agenda? Um, uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah, all all of that is is and and I and I have to say when I have leadership team meetings and I have someone in the room that at some point in their career has been a product manager that seems to help things go. <laughs> oh yeah. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I I think it's prioritization. I mean, they're like mm-hmm. it's such an easy thing to say. Oh, we need prioritize. Like, it, but it's such a difficult art to actually do and to gather up all of the tendrils that make the work of prioritization effective. Like all the consensus building that has to go, all the explaining has to go along with that to get people on board. But pro- that's what product management is ultimately. You know, it really at the at the heart of it, it's just prioritization. No, just yep. it's prioritization, weighing all as many, as much, you know, data and as many factors as you can. So that makes a lot of sense to me. And and I think uh I try I'm trying to think like a product manager as best I can. It's like go yeah. out and try to do this work. Yeah, I, uh, me too. And I, I don't I often don't succeed, but um yeah. I, I try. <laughs> yeah. Um so you know, speaking of that, you know, um you know, you you talked to me a little bit about how hard it is to really be cross-functional, and this is like a good good case in point, right? But like, kind of what what have you learned about like the the how important it is to be cross-functional on the operations side of the business, and how like why is it so hard, or is that a is it does it get easier? Like, I have lots of adjacent questions around this, but talk to me about the challenge. Yeah, of being so cross-functional. so the way I thought about that is like so. To be fair, the cross-functional problems are now the problems that I have to concern myself with. So it might not even be true that they're always the most important problems. Like the ones that are sit squarely in a function are really important too. I think they tend to fester more, the cross-functional problems, because they don't have a natural owner. Um, you know, someone like to be a great CTO or a great CRO, like you take care, there's stuff that you just have to take care of that sits squarely within your function. You know, you have decent leaders in place, they tend to do that. And it's the cross-functional stuff that falls, like, by definition through the cracks. Um, so I'm, and I'm focused on filling those cracks. So I'm very focused on it right now. But I think even, particularly at Fastly, but even when I was at still at the Times, I was starting to have questions about how I, as an engineering leader, like, privileged and prioritized engineering's need. And even, I would say, like, the engineering identity over you know, over cross-functional needs and the company identity. And I was really trying to, like, if you'd asked me a few months ago, I would have said, oh yeah, I'm working really hard to make sure we don't, we're not siloed and like we think cross-functionally. And now a few months later, I'm like, I wasn't working that hard. (laughs) I was scratching the surface. Yeah, kind of, you know, because at the same time, like we care so much, again, focusing on engineering is what I know best. We care so much about creating a strong engineering culture and a strong engineering identity. So by I look back at what I did at the Times, like we will put a lot of effort into the engineering blog and like creating a voice for engineering. And then like we kind of put our arm around the shoulder of product and we're like, you guys 
you come in, what if, you know, to our little engineering world. And then it was like the people who make stuff. It was like design, product, engineering. And like, great, we're not, we're cross-functional. But there's another level. And and still, like, we wait, we we put so much weight on that, like, cluster of identities that I think it fed some impulses to sometimes be like, well, we know what we're doing, but, you know, those other people over there who are trying to, like, sell subscriptions or these folks or whatever, I'm just talking about times, context. Like they're the ones who have all the problems, you know, like, and, and now when I just see that and I see the like constant reinforcement of this functional or siloed, like identity and work and way of thinking, well-meaning, I just feel like, is there another way? Like, is there a way we can really like maintain the value of that and the strength of having that, like that orientation, but really like not re like reinforce these siloed identities and all the side effects that come along with it. That's what I'm trying to figure out now. It's hard. There's a lot of value there, but it is, um, it's, it's a little bit of a dance. Yeah. And, and it, and it really goes back to what you said at the beginning with the, the operations roles at a company, um, and I've seen this. A lot of companies don't have even anyone in that seat at any level. Yeah. Um, and even if they do, it is almost like a, okay, look around and see what's missing from your peer group and do those things. And so yeah. it is It is um, like almost like a, a, a title that means different things. And even, even sure. you're, you're saying, oh, I'm looking around and I'm filling the gaps. And so that you have to kind of naturally to excel on this this part of the business look around say okay how can we work together how can we really um decrease the silos um but it's so fascinating that your view again same team same company different different role yeah oh the thing i thought i was doing a plus at maybe i was a minus at it or maybe i yeah. wasn't like thought like all well intentioned and so that's that's so yeah. interesting so so okay so coming from the technical side um i'm sure that you are taking a data informed approach to this job like you always have and so so talk to me about like how do you use data for you know um learning research investigation versus data for you had said the phrase scorekeeping or outcomes, or how do you use yeah. to inform or drive how you're approaching? Um... So I, I've, I've been thinking about this a lot because, yeah, it's definitely part of what I'm um, trying to affect is to create a more data-driven culture in the company, right? Like everybody yeah. wants that or thinks they want that. Pretty ambiguous statement as to what it actually means. But one of the things that I've sort of rooted in is um, an observation that I had prior, actually, which is, you know, da- data is often used to keep score very explicitly. So, like when we set you know, KPIs and we set targets, and you're expected to hit them. In revenue organizations, it's very, you know, the whole quota system is a scorekeeping system that you know hinges around, um, you know, around the, the the data flowing through the whole go to market process. Um, and I would say this is one of those cases where I had a little bit of a siloed perspective too, where from the engineering side, I was like, that's like, that's a problem. Like when I try to do that in engineering, it's a problem. So productivity metrics being a classic example, like it, With- as a software leader, I don't believe in productivity metrics because there's so many ways they can go wrong. And they're like a false With- way to keep score. 
So I sort of projected that attitude and was like, that's the wrong way to use data. The right way is to use it to investigate and to learn. And like that's as engineers, we instrument systems so that we get data so we can figure out like what the internal state of this complicated system is. So that's how we use data. I've come to feel that both are important. You know, that we, we actually need to be multimodal. We need to be willing to, uh, you know, to approximate um, uh, using data as a scorekeeping tool because we actually have to keep score. We have to understand our progress. We have to keep ourselves honest. Um, we have to uh, create some real visibility around our ability to progress against our goals. Um, but we also need to be able to set that aside and to use data to investigate problems and be open to answers that might not um, help our cause if we're concerned with scorekeeping, right? So we, have to be, well, we have to be open to like unpleasant truths and, and learning things we don't necessarily want to learn or that upset the apple cart when we're trying to be like goal-oriented. So we, we really have to do both and be multimodal in the way that we approach data. And I'm, that's something I'm immersed in right now is trying to figure out how to do that effectively while keeping one view of the world where the data means the same thing to everybody. Um, but we're able to look at it in different ways to ask different kinds of questions of it. Does that have to be different people take, like looking at the same data in different ways? Can well, it be the same people? I don't know. I, I, right now I'm kind of feeling like it's different people, um, but we need to be able to, we to speak the same language. We need to be able to come together and compare findings and change how we look at the data. Um, but we, we just certainly have to do both. And that's been interesting for me to, to, to learn about. Yeah, no, I, and, and at Stride, we, um, and again, this is, you know, a large part, thanks to all of our product managers, but we have shifted from using the words data driven to now using data informed. Yeah. And so I think that small shift is like, we still are driven a lot by the data, but we yeah. are, we are balancing, balancing those aspects of it. Um, and I think, I think for me, one of the, um, the interesting ways that I've, I've used data to, to drive different types of decision-making is when someone says the word some, That's what... okay, show me where, where, where are you getting that word some from? Cause is it two, yeah. is it a hundred? Yeah, the anecdotal words, the the words that like scream anecdote. <laughs> what does that mean? Is that real? Is that that word some? Like, um, so I'm trying to stomp out the word some. Like, show it to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, or, or elaborate, yeah. or, or 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 tell the whole story. I mean, something that you just said reminded me that like, like leaning on the crutch of of supposedly being data driven can also be a way to avoid making difficult decisions when you don't have enough data or don't have all the data you'd like to have it can be a resistance or a defense as well like you know hey the data is ambiguous so let's not do anything um i think like clarity around when you're doing analysis and when you're doing storytelling is important like you both are valuable we can learn stuff from stories that we don't like don't qualify as data right we can learn things from real analysis that don't show up in the stories but let's be clear about which we're doing you know, right. and let's use the right words right. and let's define the words in both cases. Similarly, like sometimes we'll make uh, decisions based on judgment. And I don't think it's only like whatever the cliche is about, like, bring me the data. And if there's no data, then, you know, I, the CEO, that I'll make the decision. Like, it's not only in that case. Like, sometimes all throughout the hierarchy, we have to make judgment based calls, but let's be clear about it. Let's right, like, right. be clear about what data we do have and what we don't have. And when we have to make a judgment call, let's, let's do it with, like intention and alacrity, but let's do also full awareness of what we're 
Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely, absolutely agree. Um, so, so all of this conversation has been centered around your experience in this very meaningful shift. Um, and I want to end with um, most people that listen to Scaling Tech are on the tech side of, yep. of the house, right? Whether it's CTO, VPN, Chief Product Officer, Product Manager. Um, and also, I, I personally know um, at least a dozen senior technologists who either want to make this shift or have made this shift. And so for all, everyone listening who's like, oh, that's a career path for me? Oh, how do I know if I want to do that? Do I want to take that mm -hmm. leap? How would you kind of, what advice would you give to others to know, hey, is this is this a valuable career path for me? Um, or even like, how do I work more closely with my yeah. peers on the operation side? Either one, because I think it is a path less traveled um, um, for many, but it is a valuable um, opportunity for some. Yeah, from like from a career advice perspective, like, I don't know, I don't know what to tell you, because like the reality <laughs> is you're going from a, a very, very clearly defined role and a very translatable role if you're an engineering leader um, to one that's very ambiguous and very context specific. So sometimes it probably is a great career move. Sometimes it's not like, I don't know how it's going to work out, I, but, yeah. but I'll just talk about my motivations, which are really about wanting to have a little more impact on the company. I, I, I say to use the word more, like maybe a different impact or to be able to take certain things further. And then also to have an opportunity to learn, to keep learning and learn some different things. So if those are your motivations, then I would absolutely heartily recommend the change. And like I said, after 20,000 years or whatever it was of being an engineering leader, it's been really great to have such a sort of paradigm shift and it's been really challenging, but really great. Um, but, but I also think that coming from the engineering background, you bring skills that can really have an impact on, on your business. And that, that can be true whether you fully move into a different role or, as you said, you just partner with whoever is in the operations role or if no one is with the CEO or other members of the senior team. So, like, bring your skills to bear. And it is those, like, debugging skills and that ability to, like, break down and think about complex systems. And it is that ability to think about data, in a, you know, in a nuanced way. Um I think you can bring those skills to bear. So I, I would absolutely encourage anyone in engineering leader role to like embrace um, the broader operations of the business partner, like offer your skills, offer your help because you can bring a lot to that table. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you'll learn a lot about what you're doing and how it fits and interacts with other parts of the business that'll help you even do the engineering role better, I think. Um, so yeah, it's 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 very interesting and um, you can do a lot of good. So uh, yeah, so I would say go for it. And you, you, you probably know this, but not. I'm not yeah. sure. Not everyone knows this. Um, so Stride has had two CEOs other than myself, and both of our CEOs were CTOs, like career CTOs, for for many many years. And exactly what you're describing, I have seen that be amongst the value brought to the operation side of the business. So it, I've seen it mo many times with my own eyes and I've seen many CTOs, like I said, make that shift, whether it be to VP of ops, COO, CEO, <laughs> excuse me, um, and really kind of take that lens because that, 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 um, oh my gosh, the world looks so different yet the same yep. that we talked yep. about at the beginning. Um, once you, 
um, have enough time absorbing it, it really does um, make you a very well-rounded operations executive, which is which is key, I think, to the job. So yeah, so, you'll definitely learn a lot. And, yeah. And it's, again, someday I might like crawl back to you know, being an engineering leader of what have gone well, and uh, I think I'll probably be a little. I'll have a little bit of a broader perspective and that'll be a good thing. So. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much and appreciate you being here. Thank you, Debbie. All right, Nick, take care.